Now, I don't want to disappoint you, but I want to let you know that we're not going to be going through Revelation verse by verse through every passage that there is. But what we're going to be doing is looking at the large themes that we find in Revelation, trying to understand the big picture of what God's trying to tell us about that book. Now, there's a lot of interesting things that we're going to find. And before we get started this evening, we're going to go ahead and bow our heads for prayer one more time as we get ready to look at the topic of our day in Bible prophecy. Why don't we pray together? Father in heaven, Lord, we're so thankful that you've given us the privilege and the opportunity of coming together to study the Bible as your children. Father, we're excited to learn from your word, but Lord, we know that there's no preacher or no person who can share and and teach us your word with the same power that, that only you can share with us. Father, you promised that you would send your spirit when we study your word to guide us into all truth, and that's what we're asking for this evening. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we look through your word, that we'd be drawn closer to you, that we would understand the book of Revelation even more clearly and the important topics that you've given to us. And Lord, that we would draw, leave this place with our hearts drawn closer to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to start by looking at a few verses here this evening. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. And notice if you can find a repeating theme in the verses that we're reading together. Revelation chapter 1, it's the last book of the Bible for those of you who are new to it. Revelation chapter 1. And we're actually going to be starting in verse 1. I don't think there's much more of an appropriate place to start a series on Revelation than the very first verse. Would you agree? Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, we're looking at what God tells us here. It says, "...the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to Him to show to His servants things which must..." what "...shortly come to pass or take place." And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So John tells us that the messages that are happening in Revelation are soon to take place. Now notice this next passage. Verse 3, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is what? The time is near. Now, are you noticing a little bit of a pattern already? First verse, John says that the time is coming shortly to take place. And in this passage, it says that the time is near. And now, what is it that is near that Revelation is talking about? What is this thing that's getting ready to take place in earth's history? Skip down to verse 7 with us really quick. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. And it says, Behold, He, Jesus, is coming with clouds. And every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. Even so, Amen. Now this is interesting. Right in the introduction of the book of Revelation, John tells us, hey, there's something that's going to be happening quickly. It's happening shortly. The time is coming near. And what is it that's coming near? And it tells us that it's Jesus is coming soon. Now, just to see if we're reading this wrong, skip to the last chapter of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22. And notice what Revelation chapter 22 tells us. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 7. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 7. 
Forgive me while we try to modify this. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 7 tells us with these words, it says, Behold, I am what? Coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this book, the prophecies of this book. Now do we see the similar theme that we saw in Revelation chapter 1 taking place again in 22? Now notice the next passage of Scripture. Skip down to verse 20 of the same chapter. It says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Now from Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, to Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, and verse 7, and then back to Revelation chapter 22, we can see that Revelation is concerned with one large theme all throughout the book, and it's the fact that the coming of Jesus is very soon. Now, some of you might be thinking about this and thinking, you know, I hear other people talk about the coming of Jesus is soon or the end of the world is near. And you might think of someone who's standing on a street corner that's holding a sign that says the end of the world is here. And you might think that we're getting ready to talk about all these fanciful, crazy conspiracy theories that are going on in the world. And if that's why you came, I'm sorry you're going to be disappointed because we're not going to try to find the most uh, uh, exciting news that's taking place to really excite the motions to help us know that Jesus is coming soon. But what we're going to be looking at is if Jesus is coming soon, then the question is, how soon is He coming? Does the Bible give us any more information that helps us to understand the times in which we live and this point in earth's history that we're at? Now, if you go with me, you look that many other people in this world are concerned that the, something is coming about in this world that's about to change drastically. Some people think the world's about to end by an asteroid hitting the earth, or you hear other people talking about we're going to blow ourselves up. And what's really fascinating is where you look on headlines or movies of today, you see a lot of fascination with the end of times or what's going to be happening in the last days of this earth's history. You think of movies like Armageddon and all the other ones, Day After Tomorrow or whatever these things are, and I don't even watch the movies, but as you see the titles come out, you see that people are fascinated with what's taking place. Now notice with me, how many of you have heard of Stephen Hawking's before? Anyone heard of Stephen Hawking's? He's reported to be the smartest man in the world. He's actually a physicist from Cambridge University. He holds some special chairs and degrees, and he's a cosmologist. And notice what he says, not from a religious standpoint, but from an atheistic, secular standpoint. Notice the words of Stephen Hawking. He says, I fear that since the evolutionary progress has worked through the dialectic of determinism and aggression. How many of you got that? Yeah, right, right over our heads. That's fine. Just keep reading. It says, our long-term survival and any hope for our species is what? In question. Now, is Stephen Hawking some fanatical guy standing on a street corner with a sign that says the end of the world is coming? No, he's a well-educated man, but as he looks at the world around him, he says it looks like something's taking place where the world is going to be drastically different than what we know it. He continues on, and he says, life on earth is at an ever-increasing risk of being wiped out by a disaster such as sudden global warming, nuclear war, or genetically engineered viruses, or other dangers. Now these are some of the reasons that he sees that the end of the world is coming close. He's looking at the things happening and says that it can't survive much longer. Now notice this. A man by the name of Eugene Linden, who has written for many magazines like Time Magazine and, and CNN and all these large corporations, he wrote a book called The Future in Plain Sight. And in his prologue, notice what he says about the book. He says, I enter into this book 
knowing full well that predicting the, f the future is a what? A fool's errand. It is not hard to collect countless examples of predictions gone wrong, but someone has to pay attention. He continues on and he gives some reasons why he sees the end of the world coming and he says there's a collapse of the global economy, the migration of the poor to the cities, population explosion, global warming, and economic disparity between the rich and the poor, just to list a few, and he continues on with other things. And the reason why I show this to you tonight is the Bible tells us in the very opening chapters of Revelation that we're living in times right before Jesus is getting ready to come. The closing chapters of Revelation tell us the same thing. And we might think, well, this is just another religious fanatic standing up to tell us about the end of the world. But well-informed, intelligent people who don't even have a Christian background are looking at the things happening in this world and saying there must be something getting ready to take place because this world cannot continue this, like this much longer. Now, we could go to what other people tell us. We could look into all the other theories that people have as to how the world is going to wrap up or what's going to be happening next. But this evening what we want to do is be looking at what Scripture tells us will be happening in the last day. Now, I don't know about you, but I've come to believe that the Bible is something that we can trust. And we'll be talking about that more tomorrow night. The reason why I'm not an atheist today is because of what we're going to be sharing tomorrow night. So I hope you come out. But we realize that the Bible is the only thing that we can trust. The world is so uncertain and so many different opinions and so many different ideas. And you can ask a hundred different people and you'll get 200 different answers on how the world's going to end. But this evening we want to say, what does the Bible say about the times in which we live? Revelation tells us that Jesus is coming soon, but our question this evening is how soon is soon? If Jesus says He's coming soon, He said that 2,000 years ago. Does that still mean that He's coming soon today? And these are some of the questions that we're going to be looking at. Now, we're going to be doing a large portion of our study this evening out of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to notice that the book of Revelation, in order to understand Revelation, we can't just stay in that book only. But we have to allow the Bible and all of Scripture to really inform our decisions. Some people say that in order to understand Revelation, you have to understand the rest of Scripture. And so that's what we're going to be doing tonight is trying to understand more of the settings of Revelation by looking at Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3 is where we will begin tonight. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 3. Now, if you notice in verse 1, Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and His disciples came up to show Him the buildings of the temple. In verse 2, And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone should be left here upon another, that should not be thrown down. Now, you can kind of get the picture, right? As the disciples are there looking out on Jerusalem, they start showing Jesus all of the things that are happening. And they kind of wonder what's going on, just like we are right now. Now, we're going to catch up to where we were. Now, Matthew chapter 24, thank you for your patience. Jesus is there looking over Jerusalem, and He's there with His disciples, and they're looking at the buildings of the temple. And what does Jesus say to them? In verse 2, he says, hey, I'm going to tell you something, that all these buildings that you see right here are going to be overthrown, and not even one stone is going to be left upon another one. Now, when the disciples hear this, 
Notice what their reaction is in verse 3. Now as He sat at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your what? Of your coming and of the what? The end of the age. Now you see, when the disciples hear that the temple is getting ready to be overthrown and that Jerusalem is going to be left desolate, they think, you know, this has to be the end of the world, right? You know, for them, all of their religious life centered around the temple and everything else. But Jesus here, when they come to Him, they say, hey, can you tell us, when are these things going to happen? But that's not where they stop, right? What also will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? And in Matthew chapter 24, we're going to realize that Jesus answers all of these questions seamlessly. We realize that the destruction of Jerusalem took place in A.D. 70, just like Jesus had prophesied. And not only was the destruction what he was looking at, but he was also looking to the signs in which would precede his coming that his disciples would know when his coming was near. Now, Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 gives us four major categories in which we can see signs that will tell us if his coming is near. The first sign that we see is that there are signs in the religious world that will help us to know that Jesus' coming is near. We're going to look at each one of these in a moment. The next one we see is that there's signs in the world of politics. In other words, the political realm is going to have things that show us that Jesus is coming near. There's also signs in nature. The natural world is going to have things taking place in which Jesus says are going to be out of the ordinary, which help us understand that His coming is, His coming is very soon. And then also, there's going to be signs in the social world and the way that people are behaving with one another that point us to when Jesus is coming and what the signs of the end will be. Now Jesus, like we already covered, was discussing two major events. And here as He tells the disciples what they thought would be the end of the world, the destruction of Jerusalem, He describes the signs of that which would take place, but He also, in with that, describes what would happen before Jesus comes back, the signs of Jesus' second coming. Now this evening we're going to go ahead and start right where Jesus starts with signs in the religious world. Jesus, right after He talks to His disciples, when they ask the question in verse 3, tell us when these things will be and what will be the signs of Your coming and of the end of the age, notice verse 4. Matthew chapter 24, and verse 4. The very first thing that Jesus says. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one does what? Deceive you. Now, there's a lot of ways that you can deceive someone, right? I don't know if any of you have older siblings. Um, I always pick on my older brother because I only have one older brother. But he loved to deceive me as his younger brother. Is that what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the deception that's going to be taking place in the last days? Just older brothers deceiving their younger brothers or just normal types of deception? Notice it continues on in verse 5. It says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Now it's very interesting when Jesus is talking about the signs of the end of the world, the very first thing that He starts with is says, hey, 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 you have to be really careful because in the last days there's going to be a lot of deception going around. And you say, well, what type of deception, Jesus? He says, well, there's going to be many people who are coming in My name saying, I am Christ and they will deceive many. It's interesting to note that we live in a very interesting time where we see these very words of Jesus being played out before our eyes. And there's two main ways in which we see this deception that Jesus was describing. 
On the screen, you'll see people that you've probably seen before on the covers of newspapers or magazines, or maybe you didn't really want to remember their faces. The, the man in the white picture there is Jim Jones. You realize the guy on Time Magazine is David Koresh. Then you have Marshall Applewhite in the middle, and then you have on our immediate right, Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda. Now you might ask, what does this have to do with false Christs and false prophets? Well, what's very fascinating about each one of these people is that each one of them claimed to be God. Now you might be saying, this is really, really funny, you know, I, I don't even know if you've heard about this. How many of you have heard of some of these names before, right? This is common. Let's start with the first one. Jim Jones in 1970s actually captured the attention of the world. He led a movement that was called, known as the People's Temple. It started off in San Francisco, and he actually led 913 people to their death. Now, you might be saying, what type of people would follow a man who's going to lead them to death? Come on, you know I'm intelligent enough that I'm not going to be deceived by that. But what's interesting to note is that prior to this man, Jim Jones, leading people away into the jungles of Guyana unto suicidal death, was that he was actually recognized by government officials with certain awards because of how good of a person he was. You see, this guy wasn't just some, you know, crazy kook running around who doesn't have really his mind together and he smells kind of weird and looks funny and, you know, that's not who he was. But we realized that he was actually a very educated man and actually so much so that the Vice President of the United States at that time actually visited Jim Jones's church and said that it was such an amazing operation for what they were doing for the community. And you see that the government of the United States was endorsing and seeing all of the positive things that were going on. You could even see video footage of Jim Jones's church where people would wheel down in their wheelchair, wheelchairs to the front of the church and they would jump out as they were miraculously healed by this man who was claiming to do so much good for society. The problem was is that he was leading people away from the Bible. And our first warning for deception is anytime someone's leading you away from the Bible, you can beware, right? Whenever this book is minimized and someone else is uplifted, that's when we need to be a little bit nervous. And Jim Jones starts to lead this people to the jungles of Guyana, and instead of getting them to look to the Bible, they start to look to this man thinking that he's something special. And it ends in one of the largest mass suicides of that time. Now the other man in Waco, Texas was... Uh, one that many of you may be familiar with as well, but I want to go to the far right to this guy who's a little more recent by the name of H Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda. Now this man is a Puerto Rican man and he was born there and he started as a pastor because he realized that God was moving in his life. I mean, you look at him there, he doesn't look crazy. He's just a normal, well-dressed businessman. And as he started to study the Bible, he started to preach it and share it, but then he started to get some crazy ideas that he was really more authoritative than the Bible was. Now this man started to have a following, and it not only continued the following there in Central and South America, but it moved to the United States when he moved to Florida, and then he moved into Texas. And it was actually, he got so large that CNN would go and do reports on him. I don't know if any of you saw that on CNN or anything like that. You can just Google his name, know that I'm not just making it up. And it's reported that he's had over 2 million followers and 30 different countries around the world. You know, what's interesting about this man is he just flat out tells him, and you can watch news clips there on CNN where he just says, I'm the Christ. I'm Jesus Christ incarnate. And I'm the one who's come. And he also claims to be the Antichrist at the same time. 
He says, you guys have a funny understanding of Antichrist. Really, it just means the Christ that's coming after. And through that, he actually has his followers get a tattoo of 666 to show that he's the Antichrist, but also Jesus Christ. And two million people follow him. Now, there was a lady who was there getting her tattoo, and you can see it on CNN. And as she's there in the parlor getting her tattoo of 666, she says, hey, don't worry about us. We're not going to be deceived like those crazy people with Jim Jones. You know, if he tells us to drink some poison Kool-Aid, we're not going to do it. But yet, even though they're not following into the jungles of Guyana, we see that they're just as greatly deceived as the other people. My friends, this is why Jesus tells us that we need to take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying that I am Christ and will deceive many. Now, notice with me, there's another way of understanding this. It's not just false Christs or people who claim to be Christ and who are not that Jesus is warning us against. But notice what it says. It says, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying that I am Christ. Not necessarily that they themselves are Christ, but that he is Christ and will deceive many. Notice this caption. I think it, it, it explains it very well. Is that there are many people standing in the pulpits of America and around the world who claim to believe in Jesus Christ, saying that he is the Christ, but are leading people astray. Now you might be saying, how in the world is that? And I want to tell you that Jesus warns us that any time there's someone preaching and they're not preaching from the Word of God, they can claim to be a Christian, they can claim to be Christians all they want, but they might be leading people away from the true Christ of the Bible. Would you agree? And it's so important for us today as we get started into the study of Revelation that when Jesus tells us that many people are going to come in, our, in His name and claim that they're the Christ, that we must be people who are in our Bibles. You see, Christians must be people who know what it means to understand Scripture, to understand Jesus, to see His fullness. And as we come to the book of Revelation, God has given us the book of Revelation so that we can understand the deceptions that are coming and make sure to steer clear and look to Jesus instead. How many of you think that's a good idea? None of you are here because you're looking to be deceived. I'm not here because I'm looking to be deceived. We're here because we want to look to the Bible, the authority of everything that we believe, and how can we know more about Him. Notice that we don't have people who just carry around a card that says, I'm a false prophet, right? If it was that easy, Jesus wouldn't have to say, you know, take care that you don't be deceived. But we must be people, we're testing them through Scripture. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20 says, to the law and to the testimony. Those are the two larger portions of the Old Testament. It says if they don't speak according to this, it's because there is no light in them. In other words, God is saying, if people are speaking out of harmony of the Bible, you'd better beware because there's not the light of Jesus shining through them. This is what Jesus tells us when He's talking to His disciples. He warns them that there's going to be many, many things happening in the religious world. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 13 later on in our meetings and it continues on with the same idea that there's going to be many false deceptions taking place. And turn there with me just briefly, Revelation chapter 13, verse 13. And notice that it's not just the book of Matthew that talks about the end of the world and the religious deception taking place. But Revelation chapter 13 and verse 13. And we will cover this more in depth in another later meeting. But notice what it says. Revelation chapter 13, verse 13 says that He performs great signs so that He even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which He was granted to do in the sight of the beast, 
telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. You see, Matthew isn't the only book that tells us that there's religious deception coming. Revelation also tells us that there's a deception coming where sometimes we can't even believe our own eye. Right? Do you think Satan can work miracles? That's what Revelation is telling us, right? He might even be able to bring fire down from heaven, but we have to be able to say, is that what the Word of God said? And if it's not in accordance with the Word of God, do we believe it? Now I could say if we, if we understand that one point, we could go home in peace tonight, right? If it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it's in the Bible, I want, if it's not in the Bible, I want nothing to do with it. And that's why we're here tonight, because we're trying to understand what does Jesus say is going to be taking place before He comes back. Well, notice He doesn't just stop with the idea of religious deception taking place in the world, but He continues on and starts to tell us about signs that will be taking place in the political world. Notice with me Matthew chapter 24 and verse 6. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 6. Jesus says, and you will hear of what? Wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is what? Not yet. So what does Jesus say is one of the signs that we will see in the political world before He comes that's just a natural thing. It's not the end. He doesn't say when you see a war, you immediately know that He's coming. He says the end's not yet. But there's something that you're going to see, and there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. I want to ask you a question. Do we see wars and rumors of wars today? I've been having a hard time picking slides to share with you because there's so many wars going on. And even today, just looking at my phone, you realize that just about three hours ago, someone walked into Washington, D.C.'s Capitol Visitor Center and tried to open shoot, praise the Lord, that it didn't, wasn't actually successful and they were able to disarm him. But there's just constantly these terrorist attacks. When was it? Yesterday, where there was the attack at the Easter party over in Pakistan. You see that all of these wars are just really ramping up. You can look over in the Middle East and see the wars that are going on with ISIS and different other branches. You can see the, the instability going on in North Korea. And if any of you are following the news, you know, are they going to blow up the rest of the planet or not? And it's just this going back and forth, back and forth. You realize that some of it's coming even closer to home, right? San Bernardino, California, where you have people coming in and just taking the lives of innocent men, women, and children. Now you might say, these aren't wars, and I want to ask you a question. Is this a war? Is this what it is? I mean, we see that this is just wrapping up around the world, and you almost can't turn on the news or read the news feed without realizing that another war has taken place. In the last few weeks, we've seen the Paris incident, right? We've seen the San Bernardino massacre. We've seen the Brussels airport getting bombed. We've seen all of these things taking place. Even yesterday, as we were talking about the Easter party, 69 people were killed at the bombing and 400 were wounded and they were mostly women and children. Not only do we see these localized wars taking place, but we also see that now for the first time in history, for the last less than 100 years, we finally have the potential to destroy the world. Now what's interesting to note is Stephen Hawking's. We looked at part of that quote from him, right, about how he saw that the end of the world was going to be coming. And this was one of his major concerns. And he, this is what he says. And I'm not mocking him, I'm just saying the fact. He says, if we can keep from blowing each other up for a hundred years, we might have a chance. He says, by then space travel might be advanced enough that we can have people living on different planets so we don't blow up the whole world at once. Now, I want to tell you that I don't think that's the answer that the Bible gives us for reasons why we can have life. 
I think that Jesus is going to be coming soon and that He's going to redeem us from this sin-struck world. What's also interesting to note is that we have many wars that have happened just in this last decade, right? Or this last century. We have World War I where 24 million people were killed. We have World War II where 60 million people were killed. And what's interesting to note is that they say that more people have been killed in the last hundred years than were killed in the previous 2,000 years. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little bit alarming to me. If you can kill more people in a hundred years than you did in the previous 2,000 years, then we're living in times where I think Jesus is talking about when you'll see wars and rumors of wars, and how often do we hear of these rumored wars that are just constantly taking place around the earth? Luke chapter 24, verse 26, Jesus tells us that men's hearts will be failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are to come upon the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. Do you know a lot of people who are afraid tonight? They're worried about what's coming on. They're not sure about certainty in this world. But Jesus is the only one who can give us hope. Now, Jesus doesn't just continue to tell us that there's going to be religious confusion. Jesus doesn't tell us there's only going to be religious deception. He doesn't just tell us that there's going to be wars and these things happening. But notice there's another category of signs that Jesus gives us. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 7, notice what it says. This is finishing off the last statement. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. Now we're going to take some time to look at these things. Do we see famines taking place in the world today? One interesting report from the World Hunger Association tells us that there's almost one billion people who are starving today. That's one, one out of seven people in the world don't know what it's like to go, to go to bed with enough food in their stomach. There's people who are dying from this on a daily basis. We're told that one child dies every five seconds from starvation. I think that this is what Jesus is telling us about, that these signs are pointing to that there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, there's going to be famines taking place. We realize that even the ability to sustain life is drastically, going to be cut, is drastically being cut down. There's estimates showing that over 100,000 square kilometers, and you can do the math, I, I, 1.6, right, is the difference between a kilometer and a mile, is that that much of farmland is destroyed every year. Now we have a graph that makes that a little clearer. It's in billion uh, hectares. But what's interesting is a, a hectare is about 2.5 acres. So you can just once again do the math. But you'll notice this chart has some alarming statistics. You see, back in the 1700s, there was a lot less people than there was farmland, right? And as time has gone on, we see that the population has drastically spiked to well over 7 billion people. But at the same time, the amount of farmland has drastically dropped. Now, it's not possible to have less farmland and more people and still have enough food, right? We have farmers here in our audience that would know the importance that when Walmart doesn't have food, people get a little bit nervous. And we're not here to talk about doomsday things, but what we're looking at is just evidence that we're living towards a time where famine is not only common now, but it's about to be much more common. Now, notice what does Jesus say next in Matthew chapter 24, verse 7. He says that there will be famines and pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. What is a pestilence? Any English teachers here or anyone who knows what a pestilence is? 
Well, we have someone who says that their brother would say that they're a pestilence. We're not talking about brother and sister pestilence, but we're talking about diseases, right? Diseases that are taking place. And what's fascinating to know is that diseases are on the rise, and I don't have to tell you this, this is just a survey to remind you of what you already know and what's going around in the news today. We know now from statistics that AIDS kill more than two million people every year. That's one every 15 seconds. You know, when I was in the country of Malawi at the age of 14 for the first time, I remember meeting locals who were eight years old raising their younger siblings because all of their parents were killed by AIDS. They said one in three people in Malawi had AIDS. And you realize that it's a rampant disease and it's pestilence, and a hundred years ago people didn't even know about this disease. And now we see it's on the rise today. We have some more common ones like this one here in America, heart disease. 27 million people living today have been diagnosed with heart disease. And how many more haven't been diagnosed? We realize that diabetes is on a rise as well. 26 million Americans suffer from diabetes. And it says that there's 79 million pre-diabetics that are getting ready to enter the stage of diabetic themselves. Cancer is on the rise. 1.5 million new cancer cases every year. I know my cousin at the age of 18 was struck with cancer, T-cell lymphoma, wasn't able to be diagnosed fully, and for three years battled through the process, perfectly healthy in all other states. But it was cancer that got to him. Praise the Lord, he was able to survive it. My uncle was just diagnosed with cancer, what, a few months ago. Every female in my mom's family has cancer, or has had it at multiple times, except my mother, praise the Lord, but we do have cancer policies. But we realize that cancer and pestilences and all of these different things are rampant in the world today. Not only do we see some of these major diseases, but we see some of the other ones that we hear about in the news, the SARS, the Ebola outbreak. My wife and I had the privilege of living in Dallas, Texas during the Ebola outbreak, which was where there was many cases of Ebola found. And we actually had a friend who was from Dallas who decided to fly to Zambia, Africa. Now, for those of you who don't know the history of Ebola, Ebola actually started in Africa and came over this way, right? Now, our friend from Dallas, born and raised there, went to Zambia, Africa, and what do you think they did when he got to the airport? They quarantined him for five hours because he was an American coming from an Ebola-strucken city, and here he was sitting in Africa as an American thinking, man, I've never been plagued with this, you know, so much disease in my life before. And you just realize so many people were facing this Ebola crisis. You have other ones like mad cow, bird flu, Zika is one that's coming up and my wife and I have been concerned about as it's attacking pregnant women through mosquitoes and the babies come out with smaller heads and other health defects. And you realize that the world that we live in is one in which if we were to look at all of these things every, every day, we could be quite depressed, right? Now, just letting you know, we're not going to be reminded of these things day after day. But what we're looking at is, are the things that Jesus tells us that will be signs of his coming taking place in the society that we live? I mean, how can we not turn on the news and read Matthew chapter 24 and feel like we're looking at the exact same context. And as we see that these things are going on, we realize that what Jesus said, His coming would be soon, is coming much closer to us today than it ever has before. Jesus continues on to tell us that there would also be earthquakes in various places. The United States Geological Survey says that they estimate that several million earthquakes occur in the world each year. And they now locate about 50 earthquakes each day, and that's about 20,000 a year. In other words, they're saying there's millions that happen, they can't even record all those. But the ones that they do find, there's about 2,000 or 20,000 that happen every year. 
We see that we live in a world that's ravaged by these things. When you look at the, the spots in which they've hit in recent history, you see that they've struck places like Iran, Chile, and New Zealand, and Indonesia. In 2004, we'll have a picture of it later, but there was an earthquake that hit at a magnitude of 1 point, or 9.1 that killed 280,000 people in one earthquake. I did some quick math. That would be like taking Grand Rapids and the surrounding cities and just wiping them off the map after one earthquake. Do you think that's major? They're starting to realize that these things are happening more and more in the world in which we live. Pakistan had an earthquake that killed 80,000. In 2005, China had one that killed 70,000. In 2008, Haiti's earthquake killed 222,000. In 2010, and then 22 other thousand were killed in Japan in 2011. It's almost to the point where we turn on the news today and we feel desensitized to the things that are taking place. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but how many of you could say, when you look at the news and you hear about another killing or another war or another earthquake or another natural disaster, it's almost just like another normal day in Earth's history. But Jesus tells us, hey, this isn't supposed to be normal. This isn't the way that I've designed it, but these are signs that I'm coming soon. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 21, verse 25, that the seas and the waves were roaring. And I want to ask you a question. What do you call an earthquake that happens underwater? A tsunami, right? And when you describe that, if you were describing it like Jesus, do you think the seas and the waves roaring could describe the tsunamis that we see that are smashing countries today? We see the carnage of Japan's 9.0 earthquake. It was one of the five most powerful earthquakes in the world. This is the picture that I was telling you about, the earthquake, the 9.1 that happened in the Indian Ocean that killed over 230,000 people. Some estimates are up to 280,000. If it was 280,000, that would be like wiping Grand Rapids and Lansing both off the map at the same time. You realize that these things are just massive disasters and the Lord's trying to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know that these signs are taking place because I'm coming soon. 2011, Jesus tells us that there's going to be signs in the natural world and we see not only earthquakes and tsunamis and those things, but we see the super outbreak of tornadoes that happened in 2011. How many of you remember that? We have family. My wife's family is from Arkansas. And they live down in the area of Tornado Alley and other things that happened. And it was recorded that in a four-day period, there was as many as 327 tornadoes. Now let me ask you a question. Is that normal? When, when have we heard of things like that? It's one of the most destructive things in which we've seen, and it cost over $11 billion in damage. Now, luckily, it only claimed the lives, and I say only, but it only claimed the lives of thousands in comparison to 230,000. But you see, we start to see these things. Oh, it was only 200, 200 people killed this time. Oh, it was only 2,000 people killed this time. And these things are happening so rapidly, but notice what continues on. And this is the point that I think clenches it for me. Notice Matthew chapter 24 and verse 8. After Jesus talks about the deception that's going to be happening, after Jesus talks about the wars and rumors of wars and the, the natural disasters and the pestilences and the earthquakes, verse 8, Jesus says, all of these things are the beginning of what? Of sorrows. Does anyone here have the New International Translation? All these things are the beginning of sorrows. And as you pull out your New International Translation, it actually translates this portion of Scripture a little more accurately than the New King James Version does on the screen. 
And what it says is all of these things are the beginning of birth pains. How many of you have read that in a different translation before? All of these things are the beginning of birth pains. Now, you may say, what is the difference between sorrows and birth pains? Well, Jesus isn't just telling us, well, all of these things are just the beginning of making you sad, right? That's not what he's saying. But Jesus is saying, when you see all of these things taking place, this is just the beginning of birth pains. Now, I had to ask my wife for some help with this one because I don't know what birth pains are, right? I'm a, I'm a male and I'm very thankful that I will never experience birth and labor pains. But I'm very thankful for my wonderful wife who will valiantly in seven weeks give birth to our child. Unless she's early, you might meet her here. But what's interesting about birth pains or contractions? Why would Jesus be saying all of these things are just the beginning of birth pains? Now, my wife, I asked her to try to break this down for me, and she, she did confess that she's not an expert in this, but she has been reading a lot of literature to try to prepare for birth. And I want to ask you a question. The first time that you feel a contraction, does that mean that the baby is coming in the next minute? No, right? Some men are here confused because they're not exactly sure. No, right? When you feel the contractions at first, that doesn't necessarily mean that the baby is coming immediately. But that's just the beginning of the birth pains. Now you see, as the birth pains continue on, there's two things that happen. They become more frequent and they become more intense. Now I see some ladies nodding their heads here with some wisdom, so I'm getting validated by the mothers. And as these birth pains continue, the intensity continues to get more frequent, and the frequency becomes more frequent. Now, I wrote down a few numbers that my wife told me, and I'm trying to get these memorized. And it says that when your contractions are about five minutes apart, you go to the hospital, right? Okay, I'm just making sure I can do this right. Now, when they're less than two to three minutes apart, you know that things are really getting serious and it's about to come. Now, my wife and I were walking a few days ago, and after walking, she felt that her stomach was, was tighter. She said, I feel like I'm, I have contractions. Now, me, I've never had a child before, so I immediately panic, you know. What, you're having, are you going into labor? No, 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 I'm just having the beginnings of birth pains, right? Now, what does this mean for what Jesus is telling us? Jesus is telling us that his second coming is very similar to the process that a woman goes through in giving birth. You see, the things that we see in the Bible, the earthquakes, the wars, the famines, the pestilences, all of these things will happen, right? Jesus says, but the end is not yet. But he says these are the beginnings of the birth pains. In other words, when they become more frequent and they become more intense, you can know that the coming of Christ is near. Would you agree with that? And as we look at all these things, some of you may say, well, we've always had wars. We've always had earthquakes. We've always had whatever else it may be. And to that, we would say, absolutely. But Jesus says, when you notice these things really picking up in intensity and frequency, you're starting your spiritual alarm system should report to you that the coming of Jesus is near. Does that make sense? Now notice, just breathing, breezing through the next couple sections, the last section that Jesus gives to us in Matthew chapter 24 tells us that there will be signs not only in the religious world, not only in the political world, not only in the natural world, but also in the social world. In other words, in society, there will be things taking place. Now, when Jesus discusses this, Jesus talks in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37. 
Notice what verse 37 says. It says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the what? Son of Man be. Now, what is Jesus talking about when He says, as in the days of Noah, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be? Well, if Jesus is telling us that the last days are going to be like the days of Noah, do you think we should know what the days of Noah were like? Go with me to Genesis chapter 5, or Genesis chapter 6, just very quickly. Genesis chapter 6, keep your finger or ribbon in the book of Matthew, but Genesis chapter 6, what were the days of Noah like? Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Notice what it says. Talking about the days of Noah, it says, Then the Lord saw that the what? The wickedness of men was great in the earth, that the intent, or that every intent and the thought of the heart was what? only evil continually. See, Jesus tells us that as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And as we look at the days of Noah, we realize that the corruption of society became so extreme that it came to a point where God said that He could no longer allow men to live like that, destroying one another. Now I want to ask you, Jesus continues on in Matthew chapter 24, and verse 12 talking about a similar idea and he says because lawlessness will abound the love of many will grow cold I want to ask you do we realize that the love of many has grown cold in society today I'm not just talking about not waving to the person walking by you on the street or honking your horn at someone who cuts you off but we realize that people have become devoid of love in many ways I was just reading as I was looking at some of the wars that were taking place, as I was just scrolling through CNN, something that popped and caught my attention today was yesterday in Washington. I believe it was in Everett, Washington. A man and his uh, girlfriend were walking by a trash compactor. And the job of his girlfriend was to push the button to, to crush the trash. And as they were throwing their trash in there, they started to hear something. And guess what they heard? It was a baby crying. And the guy said, hey, hey, I think we're hearing a baby. And what does the girlfriend do? She jumps in there, he says, with her dress and all, and just starts throwing the bags off. And there they find a baby, umbilical cord still attached, laying in the bottom, not of a trash can, but of a trash compactor, because someone's love had grown so cold to where they didn't even want their child to experience life anymore. Now what's even more interesting about this is that it's known that you can always drop off your children at a fire department or things like that if you can't do it. And the firemen were reporting. They said, our station is 0.5 miles from where they threw their baby away. But here they were. If this lady would have pushed that button before, that baby would have lost its life because the love of many is growing cold. That's not the only case you hear about, right? You hear of children taking the lives of their parents and parents taking the lives of their children. And you start to wonder if you can't even love your own family. How in the world is this world ever going to keep going on? And Jesus tells us that these are things that we should know because this is just one of the signs that is coming soon. There's a report that was done by the World Report on Violence and Health in 2002. And I want to ask you, has it gotten better or worse since 2002? Notice what it says. 
Each year, more than 1.6 million people worldwide lose their lives to violence. We're not talking about pestilence here. We're talking about just someone being violent towards them. Many more are injured and suffered from a range of physical, sexual, reproductive, and mental health problems, and violence is among the leading causes of death for people ages 15 to 44. How many of you think it's fair that the leading cause of death among teenagers is because someone's taking their life? And it continues on, accounting for about 14% of deaths among males and 7% of deaths among females. I want to ask you a question. Are we seeing what the Bible talked about with birth pains? Sure, there's always been violence, right? All the way since the days of Noah. But now as we're coming closer to the time when Jesus is about to come, you see it spiking and it's ramping up because the love of many is growing cold in society today. Even closer to home for some of us, there's a breakdown of the family unit. The love can't continue strong between a husband and a wife anymore. And I'm not telling this to point fingers. I come from a divorced home. I know what it's like to experience the, the heartache of, of parents who, who can't get along and also the, the children not knowing what to do with divorced parents. And it's scary to see that now 50 to 75% of all marriages are ending in divorce. And I can tell you a hundred years ago from what I've heard from my grandmother and others, it sure was not that way. We're seeing that this increase is happening because now it's more about me than it's about the other person. What's interesting is some people have done studies to show what are the top seven disciplinary issues that are going on in schools today. In 1990, you'll note that the top issues going on in schools today, and we have some people who are a retired school superintendent and others who work in the school system. Number one is drug use. We're talking about high school here. Number two, alcohol abuse, pregnancy, suicide, rape, robbery, and assault. A hundred years ago, now there's a list that goes around where people talk about in 1940, this is what happened. They talk about chewing gum in school and missing the trash can and stuff like that. And I looked on, uh, on Snoops, which is kind of a fact buster thing, and they showed that wasn't true. But the reality is, is when you do look at schools in the 1920s and 1930s, that these types of behavior issues were not taking place. Now, I'm not telling you they didn't have any issues, but they were not the top reported problems that are going on in the world today. And now we see, because of the love of many is growing cold, that even the children are reacting to one another. I can't tell you how many times in high school and in elementary school my head was slammed into different objects, being bullied, stabbed with pencils, different things. And you might say, that's terrible. What school did you go to? And I went to a private Christian school. Now, there's so many things that happen. I can tell you about the kids who are snorting crack in school, who are chewing in class, who are doing all these different things, using drugs right beneath the teacher. My friend at the age of 20 overdosed on cocaine, didn't wake up in the morning. Other friend, he was on shrooms, he died. Another friend then started to try to kill himself, and this was there's only 50 kids in the school, and that's how prevalent it was. I want to tell you that we're living in a place where society is just crumbling apart. Society continues to crumble apart as we see economic uncertainty, and this is something else that Jesus tells us is a sign of His coming. And as we're wrapping up, we see James chapter 5, verse 1. And notice what He says, Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten, and your gold and your silver are corroded. You have heaped up treasure for the last days. Now, how many of you see that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer? What is it? 90% of the world's wealth is owned by just a few hundred individuals. And you realize that this is becoming so prevalent today, but notice what Revelation 18.17 said. 18, said. In one hour, such riches came to what? 
Does this sound like economic uncertainty to you? We talk about all the uncertainty with the, the global debt and the national debt and all these things taking place, and we realize that we live in a society where just with one change that all the possessions we have could come to nothing. The Bible tells us that these are things that will be happening before Jesus comes. But one of the, the second to last thing that we're looking at tonight is in Daniel chapter 12. And you're free to go there to Daniel chapter 12. It's in the Old Testament. And we're going to see as we continue on through our seminar that the books of Daniel and Revelation are closely connected. But Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. Daniel describes as he's describing the last days and as God is using him to describe that. Notice what he says in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. It says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. Now, if we're looking at this in the context of Daniel, we realize that he's talking about the prophetic knowledge. In other words, the understanding of Bible prophecy is going to continue to increase the closer we get to Jesus' second coming. And are we seeing that today? Many people are having a clearer understanding of what the Bible's talking about. But also, could it be that Daniel was talking about knowledge just in the everyday things of life? Let me ask you a question. If you lived in the time of Moses, right? You remember time of Moses, right? Back in the time of Egypt. If you lived in the time of Moses and you wanted to get someone somewhere really fast, what method would you use? I'm hearing varied things. I'm hearing a horse or a camel. Okay, I think a horse might be a little faster than a camel. So we see that if you were in the time of Moses, the very fastest means of transportation would be a horse. Okay, let's fast forward almost 2,000 years to the time of Jesus. Now, if in the time of Jesus you wanted to get somewhere really fast, what would you use? A horse, right? Okay, now... Let's fast forward again to an event that we know a little bit better. And this is a picture of Paul Revere, right? The midnight cry, the midnight ride. And we realize that Paul Revere, as he was in the 18th century, was wanting to get around town really quick, right? The British are coming, the British are coming. And as he's crying this out and he wants to get there from point A to point B the fastest, what method does he use? A horse. So for 4,000 years, the fastest mode of transportation is a horse. What's fascinating to note is that now in society, in the last hundred years, do you think we have something that can get us there from point A to point B faster than a horse? Absolutely. We have so much technology that's been developed just in these last few years, it's unbelievable. The early part of the, or the latter part of the 20th century, you see that the cars started coming into play. And all of the car manufacturers started to get faster and faster. And then it goes to trains, and well, trains are before that. But then you have the trains getting faster and you have the planes getting faster and now you have things that can fly at Mach 3.2 and get around the world in nearly no time. Would you tell me that knowledge has increased in the last few hundred years? You see, Jesus tells us just like birth pains, right? For the few hundred years, fastest thing, horses, 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 horses. And then as you get close to Jesus' second coming, knowledge is just exploding. It's been said that 90% of the scientists that have ever lived in the world live in our time today. Because knowledge is just exploding at such a rapid rate. It used to be that if you wanted a computer, you had to have a room that was large enough to house this massive beast, right? And it was only corporations who would have them. And some of them, this is a computer that had 32 megabytes of space. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem like the young people are very impressed with 32 megabytes of space. 
And now many of us carry computers in our own pockets, and my phone has 64 gigabytes of space that can do just about anything you want in a split second, right? And we see that knowledge is drastically increasing in the times in which we live. The last sign that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, is that Jesus, as He's looking at all these things, He doesn't say it's just going to be a bunch of doom and gloom when He comes. But He tells us, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, and this Gospel of the Kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Do we see this happening like never before? You know, through modern technology like radio broadcasting and television, you realize that the Gospel is able to go around to the world. Many unreached people groups are now becoming reached. Africa, which used to be a missionary field, is now sending missionaries to other countries. And you realize that the, the gospel is exploding. People used to say, well, the gospel can't go to the whole world because we have communism, right? And communism was able to fall in a day and the people were hungering for the gospel in Germany. And you see that people, the Lord is preparing the way for the gospel to go to the entire world so that people can be told about the good news of Jesus. As we close tonight, I want to remind you of a story that many of you are familiar with. I don't think anyone can ever forget this picture. How many of you can remember your exact location of where you were September 11, 2001? I almost remember the time. I remember walking in and seeing and one of our teachers there and her husband comes in and says, hey, do you guys realize what's happening? Someone just hit one of the World Trade Center. And I remember they wheeled a little TV into the classroom and as we turned it on, we realized that the building was burning and then we see this other plane come and hits the second building. And many of you are familiar with that and it's burned in your memory and you can never forget it. Well, you know, shortly after the events of 9-11, people started to wonder, how is it possible that America missed the clues for 9-11? Time Magazine released an article called While America Slept, and it was a special report looking in and investigating the situation of 9-11. And this is not some conspiracy theory, it's just mainstream media of looking at is there something that we could have seen that would have helped us know what was coming? One of the articles that they had there was how the U.S. missed the clues and notice some of these things that they report in the, in the article. Now we know that the attacks took place in September and in that same year in July, it's reported that an FBI agent who had been for 11 years working on the anti-terrorism force was in Phoenix. And he sent a, a, a message that told him that Al-Qaeda operatives were flying at flight schools. Now the message was ignored. Now in August of 2001, a man by the name of Zacharias Moussaoui, known by the French government as an Islamic extremist, was detained after a flight school in Minneapolis. And they say, well, why did they detain him? Well, he wanted to learn how to fly jumbo jets, but he had no interest in learning how to land them. And as they heard about this, they thought, well, this is kind of alarming. We need, to, we need to report this. So they report it back to the White House, but it went unnoticed. In, in August, President Bush was briefed by CIA, CIA on the possibility of these forces coming and hijacking airplanes and attacking Americans. But for some reason, that didn't seem to be number one priority. The author of the Times Magazine goes on to state, if we had access to this information, we could have at least noticed what was going on. 
and maybe not prevented it completely, but at least delayed the attacks or done something to make a difference. They say, why do you talk about that? Well, the reality is is that God is sending us warnings that are just as clear as the warnings that the White House had before 9-11. You see, God has sent us a multitude of warnings saying, hey, I'm coming quickly. My return is soon. The end of the world is coming. And not in this doomsday scenario, but so that we can rejoice in the knowledge that we're finally going to be taken to a place where there's no more pain or suffering happening anymore. And as He sends us warning after warning after warning, how many more things could we ask for? Even just tonight with what we've looked at, the problems in the religious world, the things in the political world, the things in the natural world, the things in the social world. And as we see all of those things taking place, the Lord is saying, what are we going to do with the evidence that we're listening to? Are we going to allow this just to be like 9-11 all over again? I can guarantee you that the second coming is an event we can't afford to miss. See, my friends, Jesus is coming soon. This is what the whole Christian hope is built on. Is that Jesus is finally coming to rescue us from the penalty of sin and we can finally experience peace with God once more. But the question is, are we paying attention to the signs? Jesus tells us that we must be paying attention. It's not enough for us just to know these things, but Jesus tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayer. You know, my friends, the reason I share this with you this evening is not so that we can just go on the news or we can be a bunch of paranoid people. But the reason why I share this is to give us hope that we know that Jesus is finally coming. And as we see that Jesus is coming soon, what should be our relation to God? Should we continue to drift farther from Him or should we be using this time to say, Lord, I want to be closer to You than I've ever been before. I want to take the the advice of Peter and say, Lord, I want to be watchful. I don't only want to be watchful in the things of this world, but how many of you think that we need to be watchful in what the Bible has to say about what's happening in the end? How many of you think that the book of Revelation would be a good book to study? Well, that's why you're here this evening, right? And as we look at Revelation, on the, on the book ends of Revelation, the beginning chapter and the closing chapter, it's telling us that Jesus is coming soon. And we're, what we're going to be looking at through this series is how can we have the assurance that we're close to Jesus and ready to be with Him when He comes. Is that your desire this evening? Lord, help me to be ready. Help me to have that peace with God, not terrified by the world around me but knowing that Jesus is coming soon. Why don't we stand together as we have our closing prayer. Father in heaven, what a privilege it's been to study Your Word tonight. Lord, we're so thankful that You're a God who loves us so much that You're willing to give us sign after sign after sign, warning us and telling us that Your coming is near. Father, I pray that You would help us as we've looked through Scripture that our our spiritual appetites would be revived and that, Lord, we would desire to be closer to You than anything else. Lord, as You've seen our hearts this evening, we desire that we would be closer to Jesus and know Him more through this series. I pray that as we continue through the book of Revelation that You would show us the things that are important to You and important for the times in which we live. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.